Welcome to Poetry Presents, the podcast for emerging and aspiring poets. I'm Indrani Pereira, founder of Poetry, the home of unheard voices. I'm coming to you from the lands and waterways of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge this is stolen land and that sovereignty has never been ceded. In this episode of Poetry Presents, I'm interviewing an established poet about their creative process. Joining me today from Singapore is Malitsarani T. Selva. Malitsarani T. Selva is a Malaysian writer and spoken word poet with notable performances at the Jaipur Literature Festival, Storyfest Singapore and TEDx Gateway. Her first book, Taboo, is a poetic exploration of her master's thesis on the constructs and representations of the Malaysian Indian identity. Her poems have been translated in French and Bahasa Malaysia. She co-founded If Walls Could Talk, Poetry Open Mic, and co-published an anthology of 100 poems by 61 poets from Malaysia titled When I Say Spoken, You Say Word. Presently, Malitsarani is a co-editor of the literary journal singprorimo.com. Welcome, Malitsarani. It's great to have you here today. Hi, Indrani. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, with your background and experience in spoken word, I'm really curious to learn about your creative process. And the first question I would like to ask you is, where do you write? Is it at home, in the park, on the bus? Oh, that's a great question. So before I like really ventured into poetry and any sort of like writing format, Um, I grew up with my dad, who is a journalist, and eventually I became a journalist myself. And my father had this thing where you write anywhere and everywhere. So I have been carrying little notebooks, scraps of paper ever since I was a kid. And I would write on the backs of cereal boxes and uh, receipts and anything I can get my hands on. If I have an idea, I would write it down. I grew older and more organized, I started writing on uh, my phone. So, and also when I started working the newspaper, when you cover a breaking story, you would have to write it on your phone. And so it was, um, it was no fancy app. It was either a Google Keep or the notes function on the phones. I would just write my story. And eventually I would just write my poetry on these apps as well. And it could be anywhere, you know, it could be on the bus, it could be, I, I'm not someone who has to sit at a table to write the thing. I just have to write the thing. <laughs> so no matter where you are, whatever you're doing, it's like, hang on a minute, I got to write this down. Yes. Or I will just like, I'll, I'll like keep talking and then I'll be scribbling in the corner. And <laughs> that's just kind of how I, I've always done it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so is it safe to say then that your tool is your phone and the apps that you use? I, I would say anything I can scratch it, you know, scratch the idea down. So it, for me, I prefer a, a pen and paper. Yeah. Um, but if I'm not carrying a pen and paper, then I'm on Google Keep and, are, um, and I'm just like penning down a note or a verse or a line and then I'm forming it there. Yeah, that's usually yeah. what I do. Awesome. And so interesting to know when you write. So a time of day, yes, but also, you know, like, is there like a mood that calls you to write or when you're experiencing a particular emotion? Oh, this is a great question. So I, I think I, I started off as a bit of a moody writer, like in the sense that, you know, if 
I, if there's an idea formulating in my brain and I, and I, and I can see it and I need to pen it down that I'm going to honor it and I'm just going to stop everything and write the thing that I want to write. Um, but nowadays I try to be more um, studious about it. So I would, if I'm going to write, I would wake up really early in the morning. Um, so maybe around 5.30 to 6 o'clock in the morning and I would get ready and I would just write. And I would just sit there and however long it takes, I would write. But I also juggle a day job and projects and going on stage and just living life and cooking food. So I find that as long as I'm writing it the first thing in the morning, I will, I will do it and I will get it done. Um, then it's always the best way to go. If I can't, then I don't go to sleep until I've written it. So I make sure that I, you know, I honor it. And I, and, I, and I write the poem or write the piece. Ah, so that's interesting. So you're conscious that you have that idea that needs to be captured in writing and you make sure that you get to it by the end of the day so that it's not gone? Yes. Okay, and when, and when you're writing down those ideas and those beginning poems, how do you write them? Do they come out as sentences or dot points, paragraphs, full verse? <laughs> so it really depends. When I look at the poems that I have written in Taboo, I can point out and tell you that a lot of those poems were written in a single breath, you know, like, like as if it was written in a single breath. It was just all at once, the entire poem. And then there are some poems that needed a little bit more revisiting. So I would write a couple of verses and then I would do a, a bit of rearranging a few days later and then piece it all together. But it's not the case with every single poem and some poems they they come to me full, fully formed or I, I address them fully formed and sometimes uh, I, I can I, I try to be very tenacious so if I have an idea and I want to see it through I will just keep writing so I stick with it and just let it take me wherever it wants to go and even if I'm not happy with it I just try to keep going until I've reached a certain end and then I let go and then I revisit it a few days later. So it's, I guess it's a couple of strategies. It really depends. Uh, I would love for all my poems to arrive fully formed <laughs> onto the page and, on, and, then, and then the stage but, uh, and one go, but uh, it's not all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You sort of alluded to then that you write until you get to the end. How do you know it's the end? Oh, that's, that's a great question. So I guess I've always operated when it comes to poetry that the, the poem knows and you are just a vehicle. Like the poet is a vehicle and the poem knows exactly what it wants to be. It might not be what you like, but it knows what kind of animal it wants to breathe like and exist as at this point of time. So I don't see the poem having a permanent end. I see it as having a very evolutionary one. So I can point out that, okay, so at this point of time in my life, this is what the poem looks like, and this is what it wants to be, and this is kind of where it ends. And most of the time, the ending is like, yeah, this is sufficient for this point of time. And then later on in my life or later in a few weeks time, I would revisit it and it, the ending might change. But most of the time, I feel like the thing that's very, very important to me is the first line and the ending. I think of it as if I'm going 
I'm, I'm going to like, this poem is going to take flight and it needs to land. And the landing is something that I've already, I already have an idea. Like I can see the horizon and like, okay, I, I need to end this poem. I need to land it on a soft kind of grief or a difficult punchy ending. Or, you know, so I, I've played with different variants and then I would make a decision. Okay, I know that no matter what word or what text I, I have in mind, this is the kind of ending I want to achieve. So I will strive to get there. Does that make sense, Indrani? Mm, yeah, yeah, it does. And do you think that that's something that's come as you've explored and deepened your connection to your craft, knowing the sense of the ending that you're trying to achieve as you're doing it? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, that, that's definitely one way of looking at it. I think different poems have different types of endings. And, and I think also, you know, it really depends on the type of poet that you, you strive to be and what your voice is. I think I only know how to figure, I've, I've only figured out different types of landings for different poems because I've tried so many times and so many kinds and some of them have succeeded and some of them have failed. So I, I've just kind of studied it over the years. And yeah, that's kind of how I've kept at it. I really like that. I like the fact that, you know, you think about that first line and then where you're going and where you're landing. I think that's really, really good advice and a sort of a good guideline when you're trying to write a poem. Yeah, I, I hope it works for everyone listening because that's a strategy that I have always employed. and. I, I, I feel like if I don't know where it's going or how it needs to land, if I don't know where it's going, it's fine. But I need to know how it's going to land or how I want it to land. And if I can't figure that out, most of the time, that's when the struggle starts. You know, that's when I find like I have to go back and rewrite this thing over and over again. I'm not happy with it. Yeah. So that's, um, that's something I've, I've acknowledged over time. <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm wondering um, how often you write. Oh, I want to. I want to say often enough. <laughs> but, okay, so I'm going to tell you a secret, Indrani. Are you ready? Sure. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> okay, it's a it's a podcast secret. Yeah, so, like just between us and all those listeners. Yes. So, on January 31st this year. I decided to start a secret newsletter Ooh. and it's a weekly newsletter and it's basic. it's very simple. It's a very basic thing. And I would write a bit of a prose poem or a prose or a micro essay kind of thing. It's three components. So that's the first part. The second part is um, something that I'm consuming on repeat or enjoying that week. And the third thing is something my father said to me that week. And I write this every week on Sunday, and I make it a point to publish it by midnight. And I have been doing this every week since January 31st until today. At first, I thought I would do this project for 31 weeks until I turned 31 years old. And it was going to be this distillation of my weeks. And it was also kind of to chart my learning and my progress. and. Also, because I really miss my father and I wanted to document his voice um, because I don't know when I'm going to see him again. And that's the genesis of this newsletter. And it's called Days of Our Lives. 
And it is, it's a, it's a funny, punny hashtag, uh, D-E-I, so day, which is like a Tamil slang for a friend, like someone you call a friend or, or like a, a calling term. And it's something that I use on my best friend. So we had this little like hashtag called days of our lives to collect all our pictures many years ago. And uh, I decided to expand it into this newsletter. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because I started this newsletter as a way to game myself into writing more regularly. I wish I was like Haruki Murakami who wakes up at four o'clock in the morning every day and sits at his desk and writes and then goes running and then comes back and write. I'm not, I can't, and it's not something that I can do. And also with the pandemic, um, being a spoken word poet, a lot of the times our writing, a lot of my writing is informed by my frequency on stage. So if I'm going on stage, then I'm going to make it a point to write and design a piece and devise a piece to go on stage. But because those uh, opportunities for stage work is few and far between, my work has become more quiet and more page-centered and publication-centered. So I need to kind of hone that ability and not give up. So I sort of came up with this thing where every week, no matter what I'm feeling or how I'm doing, on Sunday by midnight, uh, Singapore and Malaysia time, you will receive this newsletter from me. Wow, that sounds fantastic. And I really, really want to sign up for your newsletter. So how do I do that? Oh, okay, great. Um, that's cool. So uh, I've sent you a link um, and it's on Substack. So it's uh, melizarani.substack.com. Um, and there's you can read whichever you like. You can sign up and then just make sure that you um, push it from uh, your promotions folder to your inbox and then you'll get a weekly newsletter from me. Yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. And it's really generous to share that writing so we can chart, you know, how, how your writing journey is going weekly. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I hope you'll sign up and uh, I'm excited for you to read it uh, if, you're, if you're listening and also Indrani, you too as well. It has definitely been a process that has been very kind to me. I, I have learned so much about myself as a writer by creating this project and by writing every single week because um, I'm, I know that my voice is changing, my interest is changing, but also um, there's, you know, like I'm developing a new kind of grit to, to get the work done, to get the writing done because otherwise, I, I don't know, I, I think I might just like ride on the bus and I don't even take the bus, you know, because we're not going anywhere in lockdown. So, yeah. It's, it's been very kind to me. With this new newsletter that you're doing in order to get yourself to write more and write more regularly, do you have a writing routine with that, like a set way of doing things, or are you more ad hoc? I, I think I have a more set way of collecting. So because I know that I have to write this thing by the end of the week, I spend the whole week actively collecting things that I want to write about or things that I would consider adding to the newsletter. So I'm always like, I'm always on the lookout, you know? So even when I'm reading a book, I'm like, okay, is this something worth sharing? Is there, is there an idea I want to bounce off? And it kind of always gets me into the spirit of I'm going to write or I am getting ready to write or I'm just writing, you know? Sometimes I've written my newsletter on like Tuesday. Sometimes I've written my newsletter (laughs) 
one hour before the deadline <laughs> of midnight. But I, I think, you know, there, there, are, there are weeks, you know, because we all have up and down weeks. And there are some weeks when I have felt like I have nothing to say. I don't have anything to write about. Why am I doing this? And, and then I just like, no, it, this is important. You know, I, I, I have to keep the street going. I have to keep writing. And, and I feel like the people who have signed up to the newsletter are like my, um, my invisible accountability people, you know? And it's always, happy, it's always a good thing to have those kind of people when you're trying to establish a writing routine or any sort of routine. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing and it really helps. So I would say that it's become more and more set in its ways. I think that's a great idea. And I like that because you have this weekly newsletter during the week, you're actively collecting little pieces that, you know, you want to riff off or share. And I think that's a great thing for all writers to do. And it's making me want to start like a collector's notebook and start collecting, you know, little things that I'm wanting to to use in my own practice. So I really like that a lot. Thank you. Yeah, please go ahead. I highly recommend it. Um, I think the best thing you'll discover when you're when you're collecting is that there's something in your body and your mind that will shift. It's the way you look at the world and the way you look at your writing. Like you're always in a perpetual state of writing. Like for instance, if you're watching or witnessing or experiencing something in the week, I know for for me at least, by Sunday, I I am already writing that paragraph in my head, you know, like I know that this is the microscopic incident that is going to lead to a poem or a micro essay. And before this, I would have never known. I I would have never had this level of attention uh, because I would kind of rely on like the next thing that I need to do or a commission or a gig or something. Or if I'm trying to write this long-term project, then I would be just focused on that long-term project. But this time, I'm, I'm not tunnel-visioned anymore, you know? I'm, I'm really looking at the world as like, okay, there is so much I can grasp and put into this newsletter or put into this poem. I like the, the, the attention that it's bringing you to your present your, or your presence, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm really excited for you to try it. Mm, me too. You were just speaking a little bit earlier to kind of backtrack a bit about how when you're doing your newsletter, you know, there are some weeks that you're just not feeling like it, but luckily you have these invisible accountability partners. I'm wanting to kind of follow that thread of those weeks when you're not feeling like it and ask you if you get writer's block and how you deal with writer's block. Right. So I've never acknowledged writer's block as... um as writer's block it's something that I will never admit to or say and I feel like if it's something I I I admit to I just uh, like I won't tell anyone about it because then it becomes too real (laughs) I guess I'm just kind of you know when it happens to me like when I'm having a difficult time writing I acknowledge that I'm having a difficult time writing so I go and do everything else that is in service of writing until I can get back to it what I mean by this is sometimes I, I know I can't, I just, I can't, you can't put one sentence or one word after the other. It's just really, really difficult. And it does happen and it happens to me. And when that happens, I go and 
like voraciously read and consume and experience or I go and like I go for a very long walk and try to like document everything you know like just um the color of the trees the sky um how everything feels what am I thinking right now everything I just I write it down in bullet points and the reason why I do this is because it helps me kind of get back into the groove of seeing a good well-formed sentence we we shouldn't think that bullet points are not a form of writing because it's actually really really helpful making lists are it's always helpful because you start penning down and jotting down and next thing you know you're writing a sentence because you you're, you you your brain just remembers how to do it and you just need to cut yourself some slack and just get back into it and that's why i believe in doing everything else in service of writing when i cannot write i love that idea of the other things that you are doing are in service of the writing rather than calling them procrastination you are actually doing something that's going to feed your writing, sort of like it's a living animal. But also I like your refusal to omit to writer's block and let it be a thing that takes you over. Yes, I, I refuse to acknowledge um, that, that, that's an ex- that it exists or it is a valid excuse or reason. No, I just don't, I, just, I won't acknowledge it. One of the things that I've learned recently, I, in, I, was, I was coming out of a state of a funk and like just being unable to kind of piece a poem together that I genuinely enjoyed reading and uh, that I would like want to share to someone else and people and going on stage. So I started doing a lot of fitness-based activities. I wouldn't call them fitness-based because they're pretty ad hoc and all over the place. So one of the things that I started doing was I started, I bought a skipping rope for five bucks and I just started to teach myself how to go through skipping and like skipping rope. And the reason why I did this was because I've never moved my body in this way before. And I wanted to see what it was going to do to me. And true enough, it's so I, I, I got injured. Okay. And the injury was something that I've never experienced before. I've got shin splints and it, I've never experienced this before. So I had to go and study and learn how do you overcome shin splints? How does it take place? What happened to the body? And then when I, when I wanted to, I had to write an essay and, and I was writing this essay. And then I realized that now I have a different dimension of pain and injury and exercise that I did not previously have. And that informed my writing because I had a new set of metaphors to play into. I find this really helpful. And if it's not fitness-based or like sport-based, I find cooking is also really interesting. Just the reaction of food and chemicals coming together, it opens up a new array of metaphors that I can use in my writing. I won't necessarily use it tomorrow, but I know it's there. You know, it's in my bank. I love that all those experiences are creating a bank that you can draw on later. That's a fantastic way to do it. And also looking at new experiences, metaphor generators. I want to just have a little shift now and ask you about maybe writing some of those metaphors and how you work them into your poetry. Specifically, do you revise your poetry? Will you go back and go, I've got to get rid of this line or this is a cliche? Maybe I need a metaphor here. Oh, yes. All, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Always. Yeah. There are some poems that I would consider finished and I would just be like, okay, it, this, this poem does not want to be edited anymore. And I would just kind of like park that for the time being. 
but some of them uh, I, I would revisit it anything in between a few weeks to a few years and I would just go back and fish it out and look at it and be like okay this thing can be completely reworked you know or uh, what I would do is that I would read the piece and in its original form, and I would start highlighting or bolding sentences that I would consider valuable. And then I would just delete the rest and work with what I have. And so that's kind of like another effective way for me to honor the piece in its previous form and then rework it and make it evolve. When you delete the other bits that aren't working, do you save an original version or do you just delete everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, I always, so like, so I would make a copy of the original and then I would edit there. Yeah. Um, so then, and then I would rename the previous file to like oh, 2010 or, you know, like yeah. 2003 or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's always value in keeping the original. I, I've always believed this. You need to know uh, where you were at to know how far you've come. You really do. If you delete the history and erase all of it, you're never going to know <laughs> how far you've come in your process uh, and, and your journey as a writer. That's really a fantastic saying. You need to know where you're at to know how far you've come. I like that a lot. On that note, have you got any tips on writing or revising poetry for emerging writers? I think the best tip I've ever been given, I'm going to think about the best writing tip I've ever been given. Okay, two things. There are some pieces that are excruciatingly difficult to write, and every person has one. It could be a political piece, could be a family history piece, could be anything. It could be something really deep and dark that they're not ready to write. In those moments when you find it really difficult to write, I think you need to ask yourself, are you looking for permission to write the thing? Because one thing that I realized, what, what, there are some subject matters, there is one subject matter I know from myself that I always struggle with. And a few years ago, I was at a writers' festival in Singapore, and I met this Canadian writer named Claudia Day, and she wrote a novel called Heartbreaker, which is fantastic, and it's really cool. And I asked her a question about the subject matter that I was struggling with, which is about motherhood. And she looked at me dead in the eye and she said, are you looking for permission? Because if you are, I will give it to you. And that changed my life completely because it opened the door and, and something clicked in my brain. And I was like, oh my God, I've been asking for permission to write this thing. And I think this is also particularly um, evident in Asian writers because we've lived a very um, conservative life for a lot of us have and you know there, there are certain things that are considered either taboo or things you just don't air like you're airing your family like dirty laundry or family secrets or whatever so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of roadblocks that come into play because of the cultures that were that we were raised in when Claudia looked at me that day and said are you asking me for permission do you need permission and if you are, I will give it to you. That liberated me. So I think the next time we're struggling to write about something, I think we should ask ourselves, are we looking for permission? And if we are, how do we get it? Who is the right person to give us that permission? So that's one thing. Does that make sense, Indrani? It does. I'm wondering, do you think you can give yourself permission? Oh, 
I think you can, but you need to have a level of incredible self-awareness and a lot of love. And you, you know, um, sure, if you can, go for it. I personally have not had that experience yet um, it, with my roadblocks. So I started looking for external permission. And another form of external permission that I found was in books uh, and things that have already been published about that subject matter. So I know that these people have already written about it. And, and, I, and in my head, it's like, oh, my God, it, if they can do it, I can totally do this. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. like that you've, you've sort of nutted that out and said you can look to books because otherwise being quite literal, I'd just be going up to people saying, can you give me permission to write about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I really admired Claudia Day because she wrote extensively on a subject matter that I, you know, I, I was struggling with. So for me, it made sense. Uh, and, and also she kind of zeroed in for me. Uh, but I gave it a lot of thought and I'm like, you can't go around being like, you know, peddling for permission or like asking you keep that can't happen so you can definitely get it from books and things that have already that already exist and you can look at those things and be like all right this thing exists there is room for this thing I want to write to exist Mm, I like that I like that a lot what was your second thing the second thing is something that I I tell myself every time I'm approaching a new submission call or project or any any sort of writing project in you know it could be a commission anything at all I I always tell myself write the story that only you can write and it's something that I tell myself all the time and I have to remind myself all the time because every time you're given a rich a writing prompt um, of any kind whether it's a submission call or a competition or anything you know, you, your mind would go everywhere. And, you, you know, sometimes you would think about what might be expected of you and things like that. And I would say over the years, this principle, you know, of writing only what I can write and no one else can write this thing, that has, you know, been a very good service to me. Because every time I think, oh, but I could write it this way, I could write it that way, you know, there, or this thing has already been written, why should I do it this way? I, I just like stop everything and think about it and just like there's, there is something that only I can do. And then I figure out what that is and then I put pen to paper and make it happen. That's kind of how I always approach writing. I think that's the advice I usually give to emerging writers who are of BIPOC. So if you're a person of color, if you're a minority and you're a writer, you're in the best times of your life because finally the world is looking at us and being like, oh, we want to hear your stories. And of course, there is a lot of expectation uh, for minority writers to kind of continue the hamster wheel of grief. Everybody wants a, oh my God, racism, terrible story. These things happen. You know, every time... Uh, a minority writer gets platform, oftentimes it's about a story of grief, but that's not what uh, we're made of. You know, there's so many things that we're made of that the world doesn't know. And I think for minority writers, if you can look within and you can tell yourself like, okay, what is the experience that only I have that no one else has, the story that only I can write, and then you put pen to paper, and that would be a great story. 
I really, really like that advice because I think as a writer personally, I find it too easy to look at what other writers are doing and go, oh, I could, that's incredible. I don't write like that. And then feeling doubt about my own work. But if I shift that and look at it the lens of writing what only I can write, then it's bringing value to my own words and my own experience. Yeah, it, 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 it really changes your perspective. It really shifts the weight um, of expectation. And also, um, I think you will surprise yourself, you know, because I surprise myself when I think of it, of things that way. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Melitza Rani, and sharing your creative process and your wisdom. It's been fabulous to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so wonderful. Thank you for doing this work, Indrani. We're so grateful to you. We're all so lucky to have you make this podcast for us. Oh, thank you. You are so delightful. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. You can find Melitza Rani on socials at Melitza Rani and her book Taboo is available from Lit Books in Malaysia and they will also ship internationally. To find out more about Pocketry, the home of unheard voices, visit www.pocketry.com.au and happy writing.